You're listening to a Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual Last week I was in New York City, where there may or may not be a musical adaptation of a memoir I wrote about to open at the New Group Theater, which is a totally surreal experience that I may or may not have had of watching uh, part of my life story translated into a song and dance musical. And I'm not going to think about it right now. I'm going to have to go lie down. Anyway, I was in New York City, and I'm walking through Washington Square Park. When I look to my left, and what do I see but... Nice young man sitting behind a sign that says free advice, relationships, sex, and dating. And I thought, who is he to be given free advice? That's my biz. That's my territory giving free advice. And what qualifications does he have to be given free advice? Now, all of you out there know my qualifications. None whatsoever, except that you all ask me for my advice. And that is when you look up advice in the dictionary, The only qualification you need is to be asked. Look it up. It says opinion about what could or should be done. You ask me for my opinions. I let you have them. I am qualified. I looked over at him and thought, I wonder what qualifies him. I wonder what makes him think that he is qualified to give advice. We're going to find out because I invited him to join us on the podcast today, Francisco Ramirez, and he will be giving advice with me after this. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Smitten Kitten, offering an amazing selection of products for your sex life. Enter Savage at smittenkittenonline.com for 20% off your purchase. Joining me now on the phone from New York City, Francisco Ramirez. Hello, Dan. Hello, Francisco. How are you doing? I am absolutely fantastic. So how long have you been hanging out this advice shingle in Washington Square Park? I have been there for uh, about uh, two years, uh, off and on. Sometimes I'm traveling outside of the country and I can't be there, but I try to be there every Saturday afternoon. And how how fortuitous that I should be walking by and take a picture and then attempt to scurry off like the coward that I am. (laughs) But you ran up to me and grabbed me and tackled me. What happened next? I absolutely did. I, I saw you. I noticed your face. I said, OMG, all caps. It was you know, this big moment. I said, I have to abandon my post, as it were, and run after you. And uh, really you know, wanted to just thank you for everything you've done, not just for me, but for so many queer people and people all over really the world um, in making the world a more sex-positive and educated place. And, uh, so it's safe to say you that you were familiar with my work. Very. <laughs> okay, so what makes you think that you're qualified to, to you know, to horn in on my shtick and to you know, give free advice like that? That was my first question for you when we ran into each other in the park. What qualifies you to give advice? It was. Uh, you know, I'm clear with people uh, that I'm not a therapist. Yeah, I do have a academic background, master's in sexuality and public health, and I've been working in the field of sexual health for about 13 years, everything from education, training, and research. So what I do in the park is then I'll take what I've learned professionally and academically and match that what I've, uh, with what I've learned doing the free advice over the last two years in my own experiences dating in the city, which for better or for worse have been quite extensive, and <laughs> put that all together. So how long, how long have you been doing this in the park then? I have been doing this for about two years. And what have you learned? I have learned a lot, in fact. Um, I, I didn't really know what to expect, but I, I've learned that the response to such a thing can be very 
positive. Um, you know, I think that we're creating a new space and seeing all kinds of people in a non-judgmental, non-threatening, free way. Hey, do you um, do this for tips? How do you, as they say in the uh, bankrupt Internet biz, how do you monetize <laughs> this thing that you're doing? This thing is not at all monetized. In fact, in fact I've actually specifically uh, made sure that I don't ever ask or accept any tips or donations. That is where we part ways. <laughs> if they weren't paying me, I would totally not be doing this. I would at home reading books about the Third Reich, which is all I've been doing time. So it turns out when we talked, you're a listener to the podcast. A listener yes, to the podcast. I am. And tell the folks uh, listening to the podcast right now how you listen to the podcast as an advice rival. Well, I listen in a very unique way, Dan. Thanks for asking. I actually, uh, I'll listen to the call, and as soon as the call ends, as soon as that, uh, you know, the, the, the voicemail stops, I will pause it so I don't hear a word that you say, and I'll immediately start either in my head or on paper sort of jotting down my thoughts about what I think about each, uh, each call, or not what I think about them, but my response to their, their concerns, and then sort of compare that with you to see, you know, how much are we on par together. Mm-hmm. And, and how often do, do, you, do you and I agree? Maybe we shouldn't say. We don't want to promise the, the listeners. We don't want to give away the game because what we're going to do now is listen to a bunch of calls, and you and I are going to dueling banjo the advice today. <laughs> that is fantastic. I'm so grateful. Thank you. I think it's going to be fun. Let's go to the first call. Hi, Dan. Um, I've got a question for you. Um, I'm a uh, male in my mid-30s. Uh, I haven't been in any long-term relationship. Um, I've been using sex workers. Um, I guess to relieve some of the pressure. Uh, my question is, if you are going into a possible long-term relationship, what are the moral things to do in terms of disclosure or in terms of other than getting things tested? Um, love to hear your thoughts on that. All right, so this guy's been seeing sex workers, and now that he may be embarking on a long-term relationship uh, that's not monetized, he wants to know what the, the morals are concerning disclosure. Now, usually you would pause here and listen, uh, and create your own response, and then listen to me. Uh, so I want to reverse that for the first call. I want to hear your response and then tell you whether I agree with you or not. Oh, what a privilege. Thank you. <laughs> well, I, you know, in a word, I'll say no, you know, uh, to, his, to his question of is he morally obligated to, to disclose this. I say no. And the reason is that unless he wants to bring sex workers uh, or sex work or something of that nature back into the bedroom, um, if it, he thinks it will affect his present or future life, then it's something that's worth um, discussing. But we all have pasts that may or may not be so desirable to potential mates. And I'm not saying that you know sex work is something that necessarily is less desirable to uh, having used sex workers is something that's less desirable to potential mates. But that the fact that it might, you know, he 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 doesn't have to say anything. I do think, however, as he mentioned, he needs to get tested. Um, and uh, these are the kinds of conversations that you want to have with a partner. You know, which STIs you've had, when you've been tested, what you were tested for, what safer sex might look like to you. Um, because more than half of us in the U.S. have had an STI, at least one, in our lifetime. Okay. Can I jump in there? Sure. I agree with you that he doesn't, he's not obligated to disclose, because I, as I like to say, a relationship is not a deposition, uh, mm. you can't be charged with perjury, that you're allowed to have a past, and I think sometimes you're allowed to you know, recreate yourself and conceal some of your past from someone that you love. I do think, however, that it would be wise of him to disclose mm. if he thinks there's any chance that this will come out. 
that mm-hmm. she will discover it. And it's it's a standard I apply, you know, I've said this to people who uh, are transgendered, who are, do, am I obligated to disclose that I used mm-hmm. to be a dude? Well, you're not obligated necessarily, but boy, that's really going to explode your relationship if and when your partner finds out that you used to be a dude. Well, if it might explode this relationship if and when his partner finds out that he'd resorted to sex workers, mm-hmm. he might want to tell in advance to, to, to protect himself, to protect the relationship. Even. Sure, for sure. Fair enough, fair enough. But uh, do we agree there? I mean, w- what are the odds that she's going to find out? But, you know, I'm with you on the testing. He needs to test. Right. For everything. You know, you know, I, I guess that's, that's a big part of it. You know, what are the odds are that, that, that his potential partner is going to find out? Um, you know, and that's something I really don't know. That He'll have a sort of a better sense of what, you know, an LT, a long-term relationship might be looking like to him. You know, does, does this mean it's a six-month thing? Is he hoping for a longer, you know, life partnership kind of thing? Um, you know, and I also think, you know, that sometimes you want to be knowledgeable just for your own sake about your uh, partner's general sort of uh, sensibility and, and, and level of comfort when it comes to, you know, uh, sort of sexual things that are outside of the box. So maybe, you know, looking for a sex worker, that sort of thing. So maybe it's worth it at least to have a discussion about where that person stands on. But not other on the first date. This isn't a like, oh, hey, <laughs> this, this, the salad is delicious, and I was banging hookers until you said you'd go out with me, just so he knows. I do think that he should, if he discloses, if he feels like, and I do think he maybe only is obligated to disclose if he feels there's some chance that she may discover mm-hmm. it and could blow up. I, I think you can wait until you've demonstrated, until she's hung out with you enough to know that you're a good and decent, respectable guy, despite having gone to sex workers. And I'm not saying that good and decent guys don't go, but the cultural right. bias is that good and decent guys don't. Right. And so right. a girl might run screaming early on if you tell her uh, too soon uh, because Absolutely. of those prejudices against John's. Absolutely. I mean, that, that, that's, you know, that's um, a, a potential risk that, that he'd have to take and, and, and assess for himself. Hi, Dan. I'm a 23-year-old um, heterosexual female, and um, I just became sexually active um, recently. And the first time, it was just like a casual hookup with a friend. Um, I was on birth control, so... Um, didn't use a condom, but, you know, in the heat of the moment, it didn't occur to me that he was um, a huge, douchey um, asshole who's made his way around, and long story short, he gave me a trick. Um, infection cleared. Um, just recently, I had another um, casual hookup with a guy I don't know quite as well, and um, Luther didn't even, like, have a condom on him, so it, it was cool. I had uh, one of those freaky <laughs> um, female condoms in my purse. We had, the, we had vaginal intercourse that way, and then um, we were still in the mood, so um, I let him do me anally unprotected, and now it's just, like, clicking that that was a huge mistake. Um, and so I just, my question for you is, um, uh, what are the risks for, uh, HIV AIDS, um, with heterosexual couples? Because I mean, it's stupid, but it didn't really like occur to me until hindsight when vision is always twenty twenty. All right. This time I'll go first. Okay. So this is one of my favorite kinds of calls. Someone's already done 
the dirty, unprotected thing, and they want to know now what the risks are of X, whatever X is. That she got boned in the ass without a condom, uh, and now she's just curious uh, what kind of risks she's running. Um, you know, as a heterosexual, uh, HIV infection is much less prevalent among straight men than among gay men, so there's, you know, the risk drops significantly. But as a mode of HIV transmission, anal is super-duper effective. There's actually a study out of New York today, or that was published in New York today, of uh, women having anal sex without condoms. The study found that women uh, are less likely than men who have sex uh, with men to report using condoms during anal sex. Just 23% of women who have butt sex use condoms compared to 61% uh, among men who have sex with men, and that number I wish was higher. And that's entirely irrational because you use the condoms if, as a you know, protection against HIV, and it's not irrational to expect that HIV is much less prevalent in the partners that this woman is uh, banging. But uh, if you want you know, some sense of security and safety, you need to use condoms for the butt sex instead of asking the sex advice uh, monkey after the butt sex what sort of risk you ran not using the condoms. Your turn, Francisco. Absolutely agree. Um, no sort of points of contention. Oh, this can't uh, be a love fest. You got to disagree <laughs> at some point. No, I'm, I'm sure I will. I, I, <laughs> but I have, are, 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 I think, things that I add on. So if I were doing this at home alone, I would be furiously writing other things that I think that you're, uh, you could at least be adding on to. So I'll at least give you that. Um, you know what I think is that uh, I usually personally don't talk so much about HIV transmission in terms of couples or. Um, you know, genders of people, I, I think sometimes it's relevant, but I think it's a lot more valuable sometimes to just talk about the acts sometimes because sometimes we get very hung up on... I don't... disagree. Okay. Ooh, uh, th- thank God we can have an argument now. It's Fabulous. much less prevalent among straight people. So straight people, uh, it's not irrational to take fewer precautions. You're absolutely right. Now, that, that, that's true, for example, for, um, you know, heterosexual people in the United States. Now, but if we think, you know... I, I, this person could potentially be calling from, you know, somewhere else. It's, it's not likely. Um, she didn't I, I'm have guessing. a South African accent. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, the, the sense that, you know, it, I just don't like to make assumptions about where somebody's coming from, what their background is, you know, if they identify as bisexual, if, you know, somebody tells me they're straight, I don't necessarily, this is going to sound crazy, but assume that they're even having sex only. But, but, but as a safe sex advice strategy, I think it's ineffective to say everybody needs to take the exact same precautions, whatever their circumstance, and they're not allowed to use their judgment to assess their own risks given their particular circumstances. Because it's, that's actually what people do. Right. They do a risk-benefit analysis, and they make their move. And sometimes that move is to stick their ass in the air uh, without a condom on it. And that isn't always irrational. Right, absolutely. I mean, I think, I think any time, I think what, what this call makes you think of is really the importance of thinking about what's a permissible level of risk. Because in, in most any kind of sex that we're having, there's some potential level of risk. So, you know, it, it, indeed, as you say, you know, thinking about the, you know, perhaps the, the, the sexual history of her partner, if she knows um, his or her sexual history, um, you know, if she knows her status, what STIs he might have, what STIs she might have, all these kinds of things, um, you know, ejaculation isn't happening, where, et cetera, yeah. are, are things that will go into to okay, color. Okay, we're in agreement again then, because <laughs> I agree, you should think about the acceptable level of risk before you do it. What yes. happens is people start to think about what the risks were after they did it, and then they call me, just they just want reassurance. They want me to say, ah, don't worry about it. 
Right. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say, yeah, worry about it before you let the guy stick his dick in your ass. That's when you need to do the risk assessment, not after. I can't give you absolution. I can't say, say, you know, three Hail Marys with a dick in your mouth and you won't get infected after the fact. If I can, Have you ever also, tried to say a Hail Mary with a dick in your mouth? It ain't easy. Uh, I think my parents may be listening to this when it airs. <laughs> Are you a Catholic boy like me? Uh, uh, raised and then, you know, sort of wandered off, we'll say. Me too. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Smitten Kitten. Smitten Kitten has an amazing selection of products for your sex life. Whether you're single or with a partner, their non-toxic, body-safe toys are the best quality products available. Shop their easy-to-navigate, secure website at smittenkittenonline.com or visit the newest Smitten Kitten location at 70 Broadway in Denver, Colorado. Take 20% off any order online or in-store with the code SAVAGE. Smitten Kitten, sex toys for everyday people. Hi, my name's Amy. I'm a 37-year-old married woman. And when I married my husband last July, he was a clean-cut man, very, very handsome. But since then, he became a student, and he decided that he could become a hippie as well. So he's been growing out his hair and beard, and I'm just not as attracted to him as I was on our wedding day. He thinks it's funny. I don't find it funny. I've tried cajoling, bribery, bitching. And nothing works. He's keeping the beard and the hair. I've offered to trim myself up down there if that would help him trim himself up there. Now, to be fair, he gets me off every time we have sex. He's great. And the beard doesn't get in the way of that. It's just I'm not as attracted to him. When I look at him and I think we have a responsibility to each other to try and maintain our attractiveness even though we're married. All right, so this is one of those questions where the right or wrong ain't so obvious because it's just, you know, aesthetics and uh, situational ethics. But where do you come down on maintaining appearances uh, post-commitment? Well, you know, I've actually had a really similar question in the park, as a matter of fact, where this woman came up and uh, her girlfriend had started off really clean cut and then in the eyes of the girlfriend had begun letting herself go. Um, And uh, in that case, which I think is different from what uh, we're, we're listening to here, is that the, the change in, in, you know, grooming and hygiene and all of that was impeding this woman in the park's sex life. Um, and it was more sort of symbolic of a more drastic personality shift. Um, so essentially, you know, what it doesn't sound like that's the case with, with this woman. It sounds like it's not a case of really being incompatible. It's just the hair. Well, he's adopted a new look that she finds repulsive. Right, right, and right. They were. She wasn't smart enough, as I was early on in my long-term relationship, to have a conversation that was basically, you know what, uh, no guts, no beards, no mustaches, no facial piercings, uh, or it's over. <laughs> Which I think you should have. I think you should have a right to draw that line in the sand. And my boyfriend, you know, dictated terms to me, too, about appearances. Because uh, that's important. It's important. It, it demonstrates consideration, and that you're not taking their attraction to you for granted. How often do people, like, settle down, get married, and think, oh, good, now I can stop going to the gym, now I can get fat, now I can be repulsive, now I can stop caring about what I look like, what I wear, the way I smell? You've, you've got, you have to take all of that into consideration. I mean, you know, not just sort of in the, in the sense to keep your man, but to really be respectful of, uh, I, I think, of your, of your partner. I mean, it, it, but it has to be really a give and take. I think she has a right to an earnest conversation with her husband. Um, you know, she said she's tried bitching and, and bribing. The bitching probably won't work. Um, but a real, you know. I, I found bitching to be very effective. 
Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah, individual results may mar- vary, but uh, I find sure. it to be tremendously effective. <laughs> Whatever it is, I think you want to state what's working, what isn't working, and what it is that you want and see what sort of, uh, you know, uh, where, where there might be room for, for negotiation. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day... Yeah, wait, um, wait, wait, room for negotiation, that's a cop-out. I'm going to bust you. Uh, you're busted. Please, go ahead. That's like the advice cop-out. Like, oh, you guys should, like, compromise. Sometimes nobody, there's no win uh, for both of them here. Either he drops the dirty hippie look that she finds repulsive, or uh, she has to accept the dirty hippie. There's no middle ground. He's a dirty hippie or he's clean cut. You know, he can't be, like, slightly dirty hippie. Dirty hippie is uh, total, you know, even if you're a little dirty hippie, you might as well be a lot dirty hippie. No. Well, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to come back to you, Dan. Well, you may not. It's my shit to edit this after the fact. <laughs> okay. So, you know. so if you disagree with me too much, out you go. Oh, rats. Okay, well, maybe I'll choose my uh, battles wisely, but I think I'll choose this one. Um, you know, I think that there actually can be the compromise in that he can go from being uh, sort of dirty. It can be a win-win. For example, if he goes from being dirty hippie to being cleaned up but still of sort of the hippie mindset, and she then asks him what is something that she might be able to change about herself or try out or something like that, that, you know, maybe he's been wanting her to, to sort of uh, try, but maybe she's been a little bit reluctant, but was, is still ultimately, you know, game to try. If there is some sort of, you know, exchange of, a, you know, like a coupon for equal lesser value, something like that, a trade-off, then it's actually possible, I think, to have a win-win. No, here's my advice. I think she should stop fucking him. And she should say, all right, you win. You have succeeded in making yourself utterly repulsive to me, and these are the consequences. I am not fucking you now. Because you have willfully made yourself unattractive. It's not like age and gravity, which makes trolls of us all. You have thrown away this quality about you, this surface quality, uh, that Mm -hmm. drew me and made me fall in love with you, and you've done it uh, with casual disregard for my feelings. And so, fuck you. I'm not going to sleep with you until you clean the fuck up. I think it's time for a line in the dirty hippie sand. <laughs> and she'll win because uh, pussy has that power over men and is scarce. Mm. It's harder to come by than cock. Wouldn't work in a this good relationship. So we're loggerheads, are we not? Uh, you know, to an extent. To an extent. <laughs> There's no middle ground right now for you and me. <laughs> so I'm just not going to fuck you anymore, Francisco, is what I'm saying. <laughs> Oh, there goes my, you know, there goes my whole May. I had it planned out. That's all right. Next call. Hi, Dan. Um, I love your podcast. Um, I'm a 22-year-old out gay man. I've always struggled with obesity and the insecurities and ridicule associated with it. Um, I came out at 13 and became sexually active at around the same age. Uh, At the age of 17, my hair began falling out. And at first, I had just attributed it to stress. But after a few years of ridiculous hairstyles and denial, I accepted it and shaved it all off. Uh, I've never been in a real relationship and often find myself lonely and replacing real romantic affection with anonymous sex from hookup sites like Adam for Adam and Craigslist. Uh, Not long ago, I met a man that I felt a real connection with, and he apparently felt the same thing. Um, I expressed my interest and asked him out, and he agreed. After about three weeks of dating, it fell apart. 
when I realized he was playing some rather cruel mind games with me. And the only reason he had sex with me and agreed to go out with me was that as a formerly fat person, he found me rather disgusting. This really fucked me up and drove me deeper into the hole I've been in for pretty much my entire life. Um, I don't want to be skinny. I've accepted my weight and body, and at 230 pounds, I think I look pretty good. Um, I'd also like to say that, you know, I may be inexperienced in the relationship department, but I'm really no novice in bed. So where does an insecure, fat, bald, young gay man go to meet other men that aren't vapid, sizest shitty faggots, or completely fucked up sadistic pieces of shit like the last guy? Um, do you have any advice for weeding out the undesirables? Thanks. So 230 pounds is not morbidly obese, and a shaved head is not repulsive. A lot of guys find that attractive, and there's a whole sort of bare body acceptance movement in Gayland that apparently he's unaware of. There is a whole community of folks out there that where his body type, his look, isn't going to be treated like it's freakish or repulsive. And he yeah, doesn't know that, right? If he's online, he's on, well, I'm curious as to why he isn't accessing uh, what's already available to him. Well, you know, I think if, if I had him sort of in, on the, the bench in front of me in the park, I'd be curious to know what his, the extent uh, to which he's been dating. He said he's been having sort of more of these anonymous hookups, but um, it doesn't sound like he's had maybe a lot of experience dating uh, in a more sort of serious, uh, you know, non-sexual at least to start out with, fashion. Um, if it's something where, you know, he has had this, you know, douchery happening to him in a sort of a chronic way, then I'd be thinking about an entire but, you know, strategy. It's, it's not chronic, though. It's, I think he, you know, he could probably trawl online a little less for this instant gratification sex that isn't ultimately gratifying him. But I kind of think he did it right, that he found somebody that where he had a one-night stand or whatever, a hookup with, and felt there might be something there, and asked the guy out, which yeah. a, lot of in, a lot of people who describe themselves as insecure cannot bring themselves to do. So he's an advantage over other folks who may feel insecure, too. And then he discovered in dating this guy that he was a piece of shit. That happens to everybody. Right. Skinny, fat, bald, hairy, whatever, gay, straight. We all pick assholes every once in a while. It's not evidence that the universe is against him. It's not evidence that the next guy that he feels that spark with and asks out is also going to be that kind of piece of shit. Just because his, you know, I wouldn't even say his judgment failed him. It was a discovery process dating, and he discovered that this guy wasn't worthy of his time. Right. And he got rid of him. So ask the next guy out. But don't assume that all guys you're ever going to date are going to be just like this guy. Right, that's really, I think, where, where a lot of us, and I include myself sort of in this pool, where we sometimes get tripped up is because we have certain bad experiences, especially when we're younger. I mean, he's only, he's 22. Um, and, you know, what's, what's sort of promising that beacons of hope that I see in this um, are that at, towards the end of his call, he mentions that he feels really comfortable uh, with, with how he is. And that's wonderful. And I think the more that we and he continues to remind himself that he's a, sexy, shiny head, voluptuous, great guy with a heart of gold and all these, you know, 
you know, uh, that he, he can put any buff guy. And he can't let himself get discouraged by this one bad dating experience. Absolutely not. Absolutely and, and not. And he can't assume that every guy that who's ever attracted him is going to be a shit, too. Most of them are going to be shits, by which I mean most of them are not going to be compatible. Most relationships you're ever going to be in are going to fail until one doesn't, right? Mm-hmm. So you will date other guys who, for whatever reason, you're not going to be with over the long term, that you're going to dump or they're going to dump you. But that doesn't mean there's some conspiracy on the part of sizest, ageist, baldest, uh, mean fags everywhere to to punish you. Right? Yeah. I, no, I, I agree. I think he needs to continue, you know, to to do whatever that makes him feel good about himself because that will, you know, continue to uh, inspire confidence within himself. And that's really what makes us attractive to others. Okay, we're going to go to the next call now. Hi, Dan. In today's sort of therapy-centered world, I'm wondering when you enter a relationship, how long should you wait before you tell somebody if you have some kind of problem? So I have borderline personality disorder. I have gone to therapy for a couple years. I did at one point engage in some pretty negative, what we call self-harm behavior, but that is all behind me. I still see a therapist, but I'm slowly edging that out of my life. And I don't want to say that I'm recovered because I'm always going to have this. However, I am definitely able to manage it a little bit more. The main way that it shows itself is I'm a really sensitive person. If something upsets me, it will usually upset me for longer than average. That's just a common trait among people with borderline personality disorder. It's just like we have our emotional radar or whatever set on like 10 instead of 5. And I know how to deal with it healthily, but it can be a little intimidating to some people. And especially when I'm in a relationship, I often like to have the other person there, mostly just to listen when I'm upset and I need someone to talk to. The only relationship that I've had since I became healthy, for lack of a better term, I feel like immediately after I told him, he basically broke up with me because of it, because he thought I required too much energy. And I had prepped him for it. I explained it in women's terms. I explained, I told him that I saw a therapist. And then after we were together for a few months, I finally told him, hey, you know all the stuff I've been telling you about that is sort of my thing? Well, there's a name for it. And this is what it's called. And it means everything I've just told you, it just actually happens to have a title. I'm now starting to see a new guy. And I'm wondering if I should tell him right now so that I don't get too attached if he's going to dump me or if... I should wait until he's a little more emotionally invested and he might not break up with me because he'll, you know, understand, he'll know me better. So I got distracted by a shiny object in the middle of that call. What the hell was she talking about? She was saying that, uh, you know, she's had borderline uh, personality disorder and that she had a negative experience where she, um, in a really interesting way, I think, revealed uh, that she had borderline personality disorder to a partner. The partner wasn't down for it and split, and now she's seeing a new guy, um, and she's wondering if she should tell him right away or she should wait. She really articulate about it, the part that I asked. She did. She did. And uh, so what do you think? Disclose right away? Well, I, I, you know... I don't know what right away is. I don't know if she's had one date or, or 12, but, you know, I think this is the kind of thing that you don't want to say on the first date, most likely. Now, you so know... We're back to the first caller, basically, the guy who'd seen prostitutes. Like, when does he tell, if he should tell? And it should you should wait until they... She has some sense that you're a good, decent guy. Then tell, if it's appropriate to tell. And in this case, like, let him see that you're not... Let him see that bitch ain't crazy before you tell him bitch a little crazy. Right? <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I, you know, and what I really want to tell to this woman is that, you know, if you tell someone that you have um, borderline personality disorder and they can't handle it, then they probably can't handle a lot of things. Um, you know, relationships at times can be hard, and people who have that capacity to accept this and to get past our differences like that are, you know, able to see and are able to see you for this loving person that you are and the darker periods that you've gone through and you're moving into a greater space are greater people for it. And these are the guys that I would want you to be sticking with. These are the, these are the people who have a greater capacity to love and to love you. And I also want to say, you know, in this guy's defense, and I'm just making this up, I'm just pulling this out of my ass, you know, it could be that for some other woman, he might have been able to hang in there for this. Maybe he was on the fence about this relationship, mm. and this news made him go, this tips me into the no column. And there were other factors involved. I actually don't think that people typically walk away from people over one big dark secret. Often it's like that becomes a last straw or is seen in this continuum. But, you know, maybe you were the wrong girl with borderline personality disorder. And if you had mm. been the right girl with borderline personality disorder, he might still be there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or am I a Pollyanna crazy bitch myself? Well, I call myself the Pollyanna of Washington Square Park, so no, I don't, I don't think you're crazy. Um, you know, I, I think that a lot of people, especially when you throw out a word like borderline personality disorder, that people tend, may tend to sort of, you know, uh, can tend to, to freak out um, because it has this, you know, clinical sound to it. But I really like the way that she did it in, in terms of saying what it is, you know, putting out the, the challenges with it, and also, you know, I'm sure she emphasized at the same time what's really, you know, what what's manageable and how she is and how you know she's able to to live you know a, a, a really great life and be a, a wonderful partner um, you know with uh, this uh, personality disorder that she has. Hey Dan, uh, we are my sister and I are a little drunk and debating whether or not the fact that if Dutch ovening is in fact a sex act, I say it is. She says it's not. She's wrong. However, we want to hear your opinion on this because. Well, it's, we're a little drunk, and that's really why we want to hear your opinion. I vote not. <laughs> I say, you're going to hate me on this one, Dan. I say no and yes, because it depends on who you're asking. Actually, um, that's what I was going to bring that up. Like, if this guy, what this, what this guy is saying is, it is for me. <laughs> and that makes me not want to date him. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'll, take my, I'll take the fat, bald guy with the borderline personality <laughs> disorder who used to go see hookers over the guy who thinks Dutch ovening is a sex act. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you. I'm, I'm, I like my linens without, you know, farts on them. Um, but, you know, for me, really, you know, uh, this is what makes um, human sexuality so uh, diverse and refreshing and, and, extra and extraordinary, really, that for really some what people... Makes human Sexuality refreshing is somebody holding the sheets over your head after they've ripped a fart? <laughs> Not in a Febreze kind of way. <laughs> in the sense that we're so, you know, we have such different interests, you know. So if I have a, if, you know, there's a story that um, I sometimes tell in the park when I'm talking about sexual diversity. If I may for a second, there's somebody I used to see who was really into metal detectors and not, you know, the big TSA airport kind, but the small handheld ones that you take to the beach to look for bottle caps or loose change or whatever. This so just never happens. I've never what? heard of that. The, the, having an interest in metal Nobody detectors? having a sexual fetish for metal detectors. It's a rare day. I'm going to have to mark it on my calendar when I hear about something <laughs> like, that I've never heard about before. But please go on. I'm fascinated. Sure. How do you, how do you incorporate a metal detector into your sex life? <laughs> 
Fabulous question. So, you know, they had role-playing around the, you know, what do you small play? studio. Wait, wait, you role-play that you're a quarter lost on the beach? On <laughs> no, 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 no. How do you no. role-play that? No, so there has to be, it sort of goes along with this whole fantasy of, you know, you know, hiding jumbo paper clips and quarters under sofa cushions and, you know, tennis shoes and whatever, uh, you know, and he becomes, you know, Captain Gaybeard pillaging for buried treasure, you know. And where does um, the boner come in? The boner comes in and actually, you know, wondering, is, is, is this going to be set off? You know, is this metal detector, is it going to beep? And, you know, sort of everything that goes along with that, sort of this unexpected, um, you know, uh, sort of searching for things and, uh, you know, having mysteries around every corner. You know, and where are they not, hidden? Why not, like, hide a metal butt plug in your ass and you can wave it over your butt? Why not, like, does my boyfriend have a cock ring on right now? I don't know. Let's get the metal. Like, but a quarter under the sofa cushion? How, well, do, you, I mean, how do you factor into that as a sex partner? <laughs> you can put a quarter there, right? Well, you know, the quarters can go in other places, too. Again, my parents might be listening to this. You know, give me a little more. Um, gee, uh, but... Uh, oh, you're shy. So you did, like, bury a roll of quarters in your ass anyway. Uh, well, maybe this is a good time to edit right here. <laughs> Okay, I just heard the whole story that mom and dad can't hear, and man, that was fucked up. <laughs> now, the problem is your parents are going to imagine worse things than you actually <laughs> told me, and you're going to have to tell them in the end. It's just my listeners who aren't going to be able to know the full story. But your mom is going to demand the full story now. Uh, maybe. We'll, we'll see. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, I'll, maybe I'll be like this caller and have a couple drinks, and then, and, you know, with my family, my sister, and my parents, and we'll... See where that takes us. Okay, so <laughs> getting back to the call, Dutch Evening, diversity, we, we really got sidetracked by your fucking insane sex life. God, Mom, you need to intervene right now. Just to, <laughs> to, to Mom there, you need to grill him. Anyway, go ahead. So sexual diversity. So, it, it, essentially, that's it. You know, I, who, I essentially, who am I to deem what is a sexual act or not? I say if it's getting you off, it's a sex act. And clearly Dutch Ovening gets him off, so he considers it a sex act, but not his sister. She does not consider it a sex act. I'm saying. I consider it assault. Hi, Dan. Uh, my name's Lindsay. I'm a 28-year-old female. Um, with the economy, I'm back in school for a second degree to do a career change, and I have a crush on a boy in my class. Um, he is a sophomore, so he's probably around 19, 20, so I have a good almost 10 years on him. And there's only about three weeks left in the semester, so... I want to ask him out or do something, but I don't know if I'm being a creepy old lady or how exactly I could go about doing it since he uh, basically runs away after class. I think he has another class he goes to. So I don't know how to go about asking him out, and time is running out. Okay, so this girl is too chicken shit to ask a guy out in school Mm. in in her class. But it doesn't sound like he's giving her any signals, and guys are usually not subtle, particularly guys who are... 10 years younger than she sounds. Usually, they're like divining rods. If they're into you, they have an erection and it's pointing at you. But why, why does she need a signal, though? Can't she just, can't she go for it? Well, no, I totally think she can go for it, but I think she's unlikely to perhaps get it. Not, and that doesn't mean she shouldn't go for it, because there's still a chance. And maybe he's shy, but usually yeah. when a young person, guy particularly, is into somebody in his classroom, there's some evidence. There's a clue. There's a boner. 
There could be a clue, but at the same time, she might, you know, that just as much as there could be a clue, she'd be the kind, she could be the kind of person who maybe isn't picking up on the clue. I'm not, you know, saying that she is or isn't, but it's That's possible. True. Or he could be super shy and stifling the clue. Yeah, absolutely. He may not have sort of the... She might have to pass over him with the boner detector. He might have to lie down <laughs> on the floor. <laughs> to find out. But she should <laughs> screw up the courage. I'm surprised anyone ever gets laid, because half the time, I mean, half the mail is people asking me, laying out a circumstance and asking me if they should ask somebody out. Yeah, And it's yeah. like, you know what? Ask them out. What's the worst thing? They'll reject yeah. it. What's happening right now? You're rejecting yourself out of cowardice because you fear their rejection. So you're not asking them out, which is a guaranteed rejection. It's just a self-authored rejection. And it's amazing. People, it amazes me that people who say they can't handle rejection can because they always are rejecting themselves. Mm, that's deep, Dan. I know. It is really deep. <laughs> For me, I, you know, I think of it as like going up to bat. You know, the more that you go to bat, the more likely you are to at least hit something or a foul ball or, I don't know, baseball, but whatever, something. Um, and maybe one day you'll hit a home run, but you're never going to hit anything unless you're going up to bat. You're a fag, right? Oh, yeah. yeah that was a pretty good sports metaphor for a fag. I just wanted to give you some props there. Thanks. We don't have a lot of sports metaphors here on the Savage Love Cast, so when they come along, we like to acknowledge them. They're right up there with sex acts I've never heard of, the other sports <laughs> metaphor. Well, then that's two in the same show. This is pretty exciting. I know. My God. Okay. Hey, Dan. Uh, my name is Paul. I'm 37. I love your show. Uh, I'm calling in response to the guy you were talking to on episode 181. Uh, he's in a three-year relationship and uh, not very compatible with his partner, and you're telling him to get out now. Um, I'm very compatible with my wife. She's GGG, and it's fantastic. But my best friend... Ten years ago, married the exact type of woman that that guy was describing. Ten years ago, and we tried to talk him out of it then. He is miserable and has been miserable for ten years. So, dude, if you're still listening, get out of that relationship. I've watched my best friends. He's miserable, constantly going out drinking, constantly on the verge of cheating. The nightmare. I'm going out drinking ain't bad. I'll go out drinking with anybody, but he is miserable. So if you're not compatible three years in, bro, get out. Um, yeah, we read your um, article in the OC Weekly, and we were wondering what GGG stands for. Quickly before we let you go, Francisco, and thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, knocking the questions around with me and for sharing with me the whole story about the metal detector. <laughs> Uh, which I will uh, I will take to the grave. No one will ever get it out of me. Um, Love it. GGG. We use it all the time. The woman wants to know what it is. You say you're a regular reader and listener. You explain GGG for her. GGG is good uh, giving and game. So these are sort of what you want to be to be a good partner um, romantically and, and w when you're romantically and sexually with somebody. So you want to be good, um, you know, in the bedroom and how, you know, you work your things. Um, you want to be giving uh, of, of, you know, your time, of, of pleasure and, and all of that. Um, and you want to be game. Uh, so you want to think about what is on the plate, what might you, your partner be up for doing uh, that's within your bounds, that's with, you know, on your little list of I might try this, and uh, then go for it. GGG. GGG. I, I agree. Good. You've got to have the skills. Uh, 
giving, though, I would expand on a little bit what you said there. Sometimes you give pleasure without getting back. Sometimes you take one for the team. The team being, mm-hmm. you know, if you're a couple, the team being the couple. If you're a triad, the team being the triad. If you're poly, crazy, amorous, the team being, you know, a cast of thousands. Sometimes you give pleasure without an expectation of return. Sometimes, uh, you know, no- nothing that traumatizes you emotionally or physically, but sometimes you do for your partner this thing that they enjoy, uh, even if it's not your favorite thing, even if it leaves you feeling indifferent, not if, you know, it makes you, you know, sob all night in the bathroom with the door locked like the metal detector did to you, then I don't think it's okay. But giving, like, some, you know, there's a lot out there in the culture that says if the sex act isn't 100% mutually pleasurable, you shouldn't do it, that you're somehow being violated by consenting to it. If it's not pleasure for you, too, at the same level. And that, I think, becomes this race to the bottom where you just start eliminating things from the repertoire because you can only do that things where you're a perfect Venn diagram, where you have overlap that's uh, 100%. And that's really limiting, and very few couples yeah. uh, have perfect overlap. And it just is a recipe for sexual unfulfillment and misery and cheating, frankly. So Agreed. that's the only thing yeah. I would add there. Giving just doesn't yeah. mean giving pleasure. It means sometimes giving pleasure when you're not getting anything back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I agree with you. Hey, Francisco uh, Ramirez, it was terrific having you. We will have you again. Because oh, I would love to. Uh, and give us this your is... website. Do you have a website like everybody sure, on the planet? Sure. It's uh, my name, FranciscoRamirez.org. And I really... Spell that for the oh. hopeless Anglos. Okay, F R A N C I S C O and R A M I R E Z dot O R G. And I really want to thank you, Dan, uh, not just for having me on. It's a wet dream come true, but um, really for everything that you do for really the world. It's it's tremendous. Um, thank you. <laughs> I don't know what to say when people say that because I always want to say, oh, it's not objective altruism. They're totally paying me. Otherwise, I just totally would not be doing this. <laughs> I'm not like you. I'm just, I just don't care enough about people to hang out a shingle in a park on a beautiful Saturday afternoon and just just help. Well, you're I don't welcome have that to in me. I, somebody has to, to write me a check, and then I'll help. But You should come out and try it, Dan. You're welcome. much person than I am. <laughs> come try it anytime you'd like. The, the bench is always there. Okay, I'll come. I will. Next time I'm in New York on a Saturday, I'm going to come find you. Oh, exciting. Thank you. Francisco Ramirez, everybody. Check out his website, franciscoramirez.org, where you can find a link to his free advice, and uh, hopefully he'll join us again on the podcast. Thanks, Francisco. Thank you, Dan. Thanks again to Francisco for joining us today. And before we go, speaking of GGG, if you want to let the world know that you are a GGG type We now have t-shirts available, official Savage Love merchandise t-shirts. We have two. We have GGG and we have Tech Savvy at Risk Youth t-shirts. You can see them at thestranger.com slash Savage Merch. And you might want to keep an eye on the website because coming soon, a Savage Love iPhone app so that I can haunt you wherever you go. We're going to leave it there for the week. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. If you'd like to record a question for a future show, give us a buzz or a comment. We welcome your comments to 206-201-2720. You download us every week at thestranger.com slash savage. I blog every day, including the Savage Love Letter of the Day at slog.thestranger.com. And you can get your Savage Love t-shirts at thestranger.com savage merch. Thank you all very much. Me and the tech savvy at-risk youth. We'll be back at you next week with another installment of Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.